Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to an all-new episode of GVN Review. I'm your host, Juwan. Join with me, as always, Tia. What's going on, Tia? Hello, Juwan. Um, Happy Saturday. And before we go any further, I have a message of whoever hit Rick Moranis in the face. Um, Yeah, we're we're coming for you. Yeah, that was like the most random of random (laughs) things. Why why would someone attack that poor man? My only thing is that I feel like that person maybe didn't know who Rick Moranis was. But then in general, why would you just hit a random stranger? New York City is very strange. Very. Um, that's your city, Tia. So. <laughs> no, I don't live in New York City. I live outside of New York City. So. <laughs> okay. that's, that's on neither of us because I'm in New York City, so I have nothing to do with uh, New York. Exactly. Um, <laughs> But uh, we are going to be um, reviewing episode seven. A lot of people, for some strange reason, thought that this week's episode was the finale. It indeed was not. It was um, the episode before the season finale. This was episode seven titled Butcher, Baker, Candlestick Maker. Um, And this episode was wow, Tia. Um, I I don't even know where to begin, if I'm being quite frank with you. Um, So I'll start it off by this. Um, The beginning of this episode was emotionally gripping to me because the point they were trying to make is how individuals can brainwash someone into believing someone else is an enemy so much that they deem taking things into their own hands. And now, Tia, we say this every time we pod where it might get a little political. This is not a political podcast. We're trying to be as straightforward as possible. Um, But I do believe the boys was trying to shed light on what the Trump administration is. Um, To where you can get someone to hate someone so much um, that they now view them as, as the purest of pure enemies. Um, and it, it really, it, it got me very emotional watching it. 
because of how real it was and how this show is never afraid to be real. But um, what were your thoughts, T, on the opening uh, scene for The Boys, uh, episode seven? Oh, I mean, you know, you have to think that they took exactly a page out of what we saw during the 2016 election to have Stormfront, who we now know her origins, her ultimate mission, right? Standing alongside Homelander and they're doing a speech talking about how this country used to be safe and now we're letting people across the borders. And that is exactly pretty much like word for word what happened in the 2016 campaign. The only difference is, is that they added soup terrorists to the like to punctuate that line. But if you remove that, it's exactly verbatim what we've heard, you know, Trump say and people on the far right say. Um, and I, I don't know how you can pretty much not be political at this moment in this episode and this scene because they're making it very political, which is crazy, right, Joanne? Like, let me say this really quick. Um, we, <laughs> this country went to war <laughs> with Nazis in the 1940s. My great-grandfather actually fought in that war, um, got injured in that war. It was a whole thing that, as Americans, we were very much against Nazis. And to now have where these, like, white supremacist groups and neo-Nazis are so big today and they're proclaiming to be American is crazy and i know that's like so like okay tia now you're getting like way too real life but that's what these two stone front and homelander represent in this moment yeah no i i'm completely with you on that and i i think the biggest thing is you know this show i think we always need this with our um comic books turned live action it's for it to always give a bit of realism uh, and that was as real as you can get. I mean, like we were just saying, you had someone that based their entire campaign off of hate. Um, and it worked. <laughs> it, 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 it honestly, it, it, it worked to a degree. Um, and it's been so toxic ever since. It's been the most toxic four years of my 27 years. Um, you know, so to me, it was just, and it was so methodical how it was, every morning hate speech like he was watching it religiously hate speech hate speech hate speech it looked like it became his essence like that's who he was that's how he felt um and he acted on you know what he thought was was right i mean what was even crazier was tia he had asked him was he a soup terrorist and the guy's like no and he shoots him anyway it's like you don't even know if he was a a terrorist or be a super um let alone well, a and, you know and honestly, though, that sort of, like, brainwashing is pretty much, like, you have to, okay, again, very plural, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to say these things, right? Um, that's how Hitler got the German people on his side. You know, here's a problem in our country, right? And that I am saying is the reason for this problem and then after a while of just hearing that over and over again people are like maybe you're right and I feel like that's what this guy was going through he's just hearing it over 
over and over and over again. We saw how he became obsessive. He wasn't sleeping. He was just staring at his phone constantly. And it's like, I'm not trying to say, like, feel bad for him or make excuses, but it's like, that's clearly someone who's already impressionable. And that is exactly who Stormlander were, was trying to target pretty much. And it worked. And I think that's the saddest thing about our country is that that works. Um, it feeds on the people that are looking for guidance and it provides them with the wrong kind of, of guidance and stuff like that happens. Um, but yeah, I, I told you, I, I got a little teary eyed. It was very emotional um, seeing how that all played out. But um, Yeah, 100%. Let's uh, let's move on. Our very next scene after our title screen is uh, Huey is just you know out of the hospital, uh, very weirdly, and uh, Mother's Milk is taking care of his wound. Um, the wound is still super fresh because, like I said, he should still be in the hospital. <laughs> um, but it's pretty much Grace Mallory and Billy kind of planning what their next moves are. And they have what looks to be a government official. I don't know exactly. Hold on. I want to get her name. Uh, Victoria Newman. Um, I can't remember exactly what they said her position was. And like, I think she was supposed to be like a congresswoman. I think someone even, oh God, I forget what the congresswoman's name is. She's very young. Her initials are AOC. Um, I think that people are trying to say that this congresswoman in the show is supposed to be, say, their version of AOC. Right. So the plan for right now was to put Lamplighter on the witness stand and mm-hmm. have speak out against all the horrific things that Vought uh, has done over the years. Um, so pretty much they're making that plan out. And, you know, as always, Billy is being is. Uh, difficult as Billy can be. Um, but before we get to the next scene, that was just like, wow. Uh, walk me through, Tia, um, seeing them trying to set up a plan to use Lamplighter. Um, so the thing is that really struck me with this is that we saw in the previous episode how uh, Mallory was very apprehensive of working with Frenchie. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that they kind of were on the same side at this point. Because I think maybe, and someone pointed this out, that it's like, Frenchie's very sorry about what happened. And Frenchie's going to make sure that something like that never happens again. And I think Mallory now finally understood that. So it was nice to at least see, I'm not saying that they're hugging it out or anything, but at least Mallory could stand to communicate with Frenchie and not have such malice in her voice. Cause it's like, I understand, but it also wasn't Frenchie's fault, but I just love Frenchie so much. So I'm constantly an apologist for him, but it, was very interesting seeing them plan out wanting to put Lamplighter on the witness stand because, and we'll get into this later with what eventually happens. I would have been super interested in hearing what Lamplighter had to say about everything. I thought that, you know, it would have been a nice twist, right? Because these are soups and we've been talking about how 
you know, them going up against each other in a fighting sense. But I think that have been really cool to see how maybe the justice system would have gotten to Vought and Homelander and all that. Essentially, the boys, I think, there was trying to do what happened in Batman versus Superman and try and put, you know, say, Superman on trial. We saw how poorly that went, and we definitely later on saw how poorly this went. Yeah, it did not go well. Not at all. Not even a little bit. Um, not <laughs> yeah, not, not at all. Um, so I'm going to pass it to you for this really quickly. Walk me through your thoughts. The very next scene we see, um, God, why did I just forget her name? Um, goodness gracious. I do not know, Tia, how I just forgot this girl's name. Uh, Starlight. We see Starlight with her mom, her mom uh, Miss January, I believe it is. Um, and you know, she's trying to tell her she never left town. She wants to reconnect and you can walk us through what happens next to you. Yeah. So the thing that, um, between Starlight and her mom, right. It's like, I understand both sides. It's like Starlight. I understand how you must feel you were lied to your whole entire life you thought that you were super special you're pushed into doing these sort of like beauty pageants even though they were like superhero pageants essentially it's like i get that but i think that her mother did seem like she was coming from a genuine place of regret everyone makes mistakes um mothers make mistakes and maybe starlight needed to see that um you know, and I think what eventually happens in this episode with the two of them getting captured, which was, you know, just so intense, that whole entire thing, because, I mean, we saw it kind of in the preview to this episode, so you knew at some point that Starlight was going to get captured, but I think that ultimately this um, event that happened will bring them closer. I don't see Starlight's mother ever say quote unquote joining the boys, but I think maybe she'll the two of them will get a better appreciation for each other. Um yeah. no I'm here. Um, <laughs> no, sorry, I had it on mute. Sorry. No, um, what I thought was most interesting was uh, they always say, I don't want to say this like I know this because I'm not a parent, but they always say um, parents always usually mess up on the first child. They don't know what they're doing. Um, and I don't know if Miss January comes from money, but uh, think about the idea of how much money she could have thought uh, her daughter could have made her with those powers, being adorable um you know what i'm saying like having all the the prerequisite uh intangibles to make it to the team uh and just becoming really famous you know uh maybe that was appealing to her maybe she didn't really think you know how does my daughter feel about it she was thinking more like lights need to be kept on around here um but i mean she did look sincerely sorry um we saw that she messed up by asking thought for permission um, <laughs> to leave town with Starlight, uh, not knowing that Starlight was a fugitive uh, to, to Vaught. Um, so it led Tia's favorite, Black Noir, led him right to Starlight. Um, I'm really a thousand percent convinced um, he is purely just Vaught's hitman. Like, oh, yeah. On the die, just like, call Black Noir. Like, he'll, he'll do it. Um... 
So what I thought was really weird was she's not like um, wanted by the police. So Black Noir attacking her in the middle of like a restaurant was like, that's really weird. And to me, it was very telling how desperate Vault was to get her back. I think Vought, it was desperate, but also the thing is, is that, as you said, Black Noir is used as essentially a hitman, and because I think that, well, let's not say that everyone has trust in Vought, because clearly after the whole Compound V thing came out, not everyone has trust in Vought, but that perhaps they knew that if, okay, if Black Noir who is part of the seven is coming to do this in broad daylight. That has to mean something. And then we see that eventually, well, no, and I'm sorry. This is when uh, I believe the two of them um, make their speech that Starlight is a traitor. So it's like to them, they probably thought, well, we'll just explain that to the, the public. If there's any questions, you know, she was a dangerous fugitive and we need to get her out there. And this was the way to do it. To be fair, Black Noir, when he when he jumped through the uh, the window, did uh, smoke gas everybody in there. So no <laughs> one was, like, watching or, or anything. So they were all knocked out. Um, so that was, like, his way of – that was their way of covering themselves. Um, so it was, it was more under the radar than, like, oh, look, we're just going to attack our own in the middle of broad daylight. Um, so very, by the way, Black Noir does not care if you're male, female, baby, he is, he is decking you. He is, he is, he's so great. And I don't know if you remember this, Juwan, or how many times I've probably mentioned it, because I probably have a bit and I apologize for that. But I interviewed Nathan Mitchell, who plays Black Noir last year. And by the way, like, one of the nicest guys like super super nice and he first of all genuinely loves playing this character and i think he just adds such like for some you know we talk about say like kamiko right adding emotion to someone who can't speak black noir um while not showing emotion but showing at least like physicality and having a personality despite the fact that you can't even see his face (laughs) and he doesn't speak But yet you can gauge who the hell he is. No, I give it to you. And mention it all the time, Tia. That was a huge interview. Um, You know, and he plays a very important character to this season. Um, He seems like he's in the background, but every time something big happens, he's right there in the thick of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's very important. Um, But in our very next scene, we get um, Mallory uh, is planning with the team. She's telling Frenchie to watch over the congresswoman. Um, make sure what happened before does not happen again. Keep eyes on her. Uh, so that's Frenchie's job. Uh, Billy, uh, Billy decides he's going to go with Mother's Milk and, and Mallory um, to talk to the original head of, of Vaught. Um, but he gets a phone call from his mom asking mm-hmm. him to, to come see her. So Billy tells uh, Huey, you're in no shape to come with us. Stay here. And your job, and your job only, is to watch Lynn. That is it. That is all we need you to do. Make sure he stays here. Um, so kind of walk me through, Tia, your thoughts on that scene of uh, they have a plan. They're now going to execute the plan. We see Frenchie and Kimiko are going to keep eyes on the Congresswoman. Uh, Mother's Milk and Mallory are going to talk to the uh, original face of Vaught. And Billy is going to go see Mom. 
I love that. Mum. Uh, oh, the Brits. Uh, no, but which actually, now that I think about it, I believe Carl Urban is not British. I think he's from New Zealand. I could be wrong there. But um, yeah, there's so much to walk through there. Um, I loved, uh, first of all, I loved Billy's phone call with his mother, right? Because at first it's like, you can't gauge if like, whether he doesn't want her there because, you know, maybe he doesn't particularly like her, which I know sounds bad, but come on, it's like Billy Butcher, right? Um, But then he's also saying, oh, you know, the ticket's really expensive. So it's like, oh, that's kind of cute. He's, you know, expressing that. And then the mother says that the father is dead, which we come to find out later on he is not, which is interesting. Someone pointed out the actor who plays his father here is the same guy who plays his father in the Lord of the Ring movie. So there you go. They got reunited. But my thing, and as much as I love Billy Butcher and any scene with him is absolute gold, I just have to talk about Huey watching Lamplighter. Like, I'm sorry that, like, only the boys would have this scene that we're supposed to watch with a straight face of the two of them sitting down watching porn together. And not just watching porn, but watching, like, the seven superhero-themed porn. And it's, like, so uncomfortable. And I think at some point Lamplighter says that one of the titles is something to do with Starlight. So, you know, of course, that has to be super awkward for Huey. I mean, that just whole entire scene, I was like, are they really doing this right now? And by the way, so funny, uh, Billy saying to Huey, oh, you know, make sure you keep him here um, and make sure you keep him alive. Well, Huey certainly didn't do either of those well, but um, I think Huey had Lamplighter's best interests at heart with that very strange pep talk that he gave him about quote unquote being the cuck. Uh, But, you know, let's go do this, you know, let's go screw them over. But, you know, like consensually or something like that. I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Yep. And what what was funny about that was um, it was so uncomfortable, like, when he was like, I- I'm going to go ahead and turn this off. And he's like, you do it, I will set you on fire. And he like, really wanted to watch that shit. Like, he was no joke. <laughs> um, but, uh, and in the middle of those two sharing that very awkward moment together, <laughs> you do get, um, we do get on television uh, Homelander and Stormfront. Um, calling out uh, Starlight as as a criminal, saying how they all need to work together to keep the streets safe from these soup terrorists or whatever. Um, And we see Huey watching it like, oh my God, they have her. Like, we have to go save her. And then, as as you were saying, that's when the huge pep talk comes. Um, And Lamplighter originally is like, I don't want to go. Like, what do I want to go for? Um, and he was kind of like, call your friends. He's like, no one's answering, and Billy's way too far. Like, we have to go. Um, so Huey, who should not be even moving Tia, he should be on bed rest, I would assume, um, <laughs> leads the charge for them to go to, uh, to Vaught to go rescue uh, Starlight, which sounds really romantic, but it was really sad. Um, but next we get to Tia, and I'll let you break this down. Billy talking to his dad, Sam, about his brother that passed away. 
Oh, yeah, that was so hard, that scene, because first of all, we see Billy come in, and he greets his mom and all of that, and she says something along the lines of, you know, don't be mad at me, which as soon as she said that, I was like, oh, he's probably still alive, Um, which you could obviously tell right away that there is no love lost between the two of them. Billy, to be, Juan, to be honest, I really thought Billy was going to throw him off that uh, balcony. I, I was like, too. I was like, why would they have the setting where it's on a balcony? He's as soon as he like grabbed him at some point, I was like, this is it. And Billy would do it. Like I wouldn't put it past Billy at all. So but instead the two of them have this very, um, you know, toxic charged conversation of the brother and how the father was saying how Lenny was weak and uh, Billy was stronger. And yes, you know, the father was an asshole, but you know, didn't he make Billy so strong and blah, blah, blah. And it's like that, it just really gives an insight of how Billy was raised. And you have to imagine that that's probably a, why he attached himself so much to say Becca and maybe why he is the way he is with Huey. It's like, this is how he was raised. It's like, he doesn't know any better. I think Billy, in the context of being a father, wants to be better than that. But then he also doesn't know anything else than that. So it's very difficult for him. I felt that that was a very well-acted scene. You could feel the emotion. And it was like a nice pause in between everything. Like, you would think that a, sh- that a moment like that would be like, okay, what do we have time for this in this crazy episode? But I felt like it was necessary. It was. Billy needed it. It was somewhat cathartic. Uh, for him, even though he, you know, almost strangles his father to death um, and leaves him on the ground as, as he storms off. Um, I think it was a conversation he needed to have. Um, you know, even if it didn't result the way you wanted it to, um, we know Billy holds grudges. So there's probably nothing his dad could do that would ever change his mind. Um, but that's just Billy. That's just Billy. Um, next here, we get one of the most important scenes in this episode, which is after the rally, which is what I will call it, because that was a rally of Stormfront and Homelander. Um, Homelander embracing Stormfront says, I want to show you something. And this is when the show takes a turn. Uh, Homelander takes his new girlfriend to meet his son. Um, walk me through how awkward that was for Becca. Um, uh, not only seeing Homelander's new girlfriend, but knowing that at any moment she could maybe say something that rubs either one of them the wrong way. And that's it for her. I mean, you know how I feel. I've expressed this on previous podcasts where just my like heart goes out for Becca because at the end of the day, she's a rape victim who is forced to play nice with her rapist. Um, so not only does she have her supercharged rapist there, but then the rapist supercharged girlfriend um who is all you know they're both so strong and becca is sitting there and it's like she's forced again to play this like weird house as if like they're two divorced parents and it's you know the ex-husband coming to see the child with his new girlfriend it's like and you know no one can hear becca's side right like you know either stormfront doesn't know the truth or 
Homelander twisted it in a way that, you know, seems as if it was consensual or Stormfront doesn't care, you know, or, you know, whatever. Um, so that was so, so tense. Um, I, I don't think I ever felt like Becca was going to get killed, but I did think that eventually they would just take the child. I feel bad that they made it where the child is saying that he hates Becca. Um, you know, I just want, this is what I want from the show, right? <laughs> because the show is so, like, you know, honest, and I feel like they could do something like this. I just want Becca one day just to shout out, this man raped me. Like, why are we acting as if, like, that didn't happen? You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, God, I was just sitting there going, oh, my God. Like, why is this show not just shouting this out? So that was my opinion with the whole thing. I just feel bad for Becca because I really feel like her son was the only thing holding her together. And now not only did they turn the son against her, but then they took the son away from her. Yeah, no, um, and we'll get more to uh, them taking the sun towards the uh, towards the end of this, because uh, that was huge. That was monumental for this episode. But the biggest thing is, um, I think the reason why she's not making it so apparent, so loud, is um, to find that out is something that will drastically change everything for her son. Um, like he's at he's at a young age to where I think he somewhat understands what that is. Um, and it, it could have very, very, very negative effects on him, uh, going forward. So I think she just kind of wants to shelter him from everything that's real, uh, including something as real as that. Um, but what bothered me was that I've never kind of wished like someone had powers more than I wish Becca uh, had powers at that point because the entire time Stormfront kept running her mouth while Becca was talking like <laughs> where Becca was like oh you know maybe at some point you could do that or he could do it now I was like oh, Becca like stab her in the throat or something yeah like, because it's like it's like I don't care how super powered you are it's like you're not the mother like I I did want Becca to turn around and be like hello I'm her mom I mean not her mom sorry I'm his mom like shut the fuck up pretty much you know like I hated that and again that's so like my parents are together so I I don't know anything about step parents new girlfriends new boyfriends or anything like that but i could imagine that that is very frustrating when uh say a step parent or boyfriend or girlfriend tries to too quickly become the new parent yeah it's 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 frustrating because you just kind of look at it and you're like um you know it's it's not your 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 place you know to be talking about stuff that is um that is just you know between the mother and and the father you know it, really it's just the mother um because he hasn't really been a father so it's like you know um i always uh equate things to real life and it's like i would i could only imagine how uncomfortable it'd be if like <laughs> um I'm talking to like the mother of my child and like her new boyfriend is just chiming in and I'm like, I'm sorry. Three people don't make a child. Two people usually do. <laughs> um, I don't really need you in this conversation. I, I think the two of us got it. We're, we're good. You can just go over there. Um, 
but Stormfront uh, essentially was just trying to make it known that I'm I'm the new woman in his life. And Becca's sitting there like, um, I don't. It's want like you can have him. Like no one. Like that's another thing. It's like no one is sitting here going, "Oh yeah, I want him." It's like you can go have him. Go. <laughs> like what? Like I just bet you Homelander's sitting there because we don't see that conversation. Like I bet you Homelander's like she still she still has it for me. She's still holding that torch, you know. After all these years. Yeah, it's like um. Yeah, go ahead, girlfriend. You 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 can have him. Um, I'm pretty sure if you found out what he did, you probably wouldn't want him, or maybe you would. I don't know. I don't know how crazy this woman is. She's pretty crazy, my friend. Pretty crazy. Um, but the next scene, Tia, was very, very, very emotional um, because I just felt so sorry for her. And the next scene is Queen Maeve is with her uh, girlfriend, Elena. And Elaine is pretty much saying how she thinks she needs some kind of space to deal with everything that's going on in Maeve's world. Um, and Maeve is, you know, trying to be as, as grounded as possible, trying to move past it. And Elena says the wrong thing. Maeve gets really peeved, peeved off and launches the, the kitchen table uh, across the living room. Uh, so walk me through, Tia, your thoughts on Queen Maeve um, trying to find some semblance of normalcy with Elena. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that sometimes with this show, I feel like they almost forget that Maeve is a soup and that she is powerful. And I felt like that scene was almost important to show like, hey, she's she's powerful here. Um, and she's also going through a lot. I mean, part of me wonders like, was she ever trying to really get back with Elena? Was she just trying to be there for her, you know, after Elena, you know, had surgery and stuff, and then just kind of them getting launched back into this relationship? But it's very clear that it's a relationship that isn't going to work. Elena, I don't think, is prepared for, you know, what Maeve has in her life. Um and may and now that Elena knows what happened to Maeve on that plane, I don't think that Maeve needs someone necessarily sitting there as the constant like consciousness reminder of, hey, that was wrong. Um, so that, but listen, that was very emotional. It really was because um, it led to where we see Maeve going out and obviously having, you know spontaneous and promiscuous sex with people that he, she probably doesn't even know. Um, and that is all just stemming from her just being hurt because it's like the person who, the only person really who she probably has ever felt comfortable in being the real her is now showing herself to not really be accepting of quote unquote, the real her. It's like Elena wanted the real Maeve, but Maeve's like, this is really me. Um, I am not this big figurehead, and I'm not going to be living in this nice little cushy little life. I have all these emotions. I have all these like battle scars inside, and that's there. And I think that it was just too much for Elena. So I've, you know, how much I love Queen Maeve. Um, I've loved her since season one, and I love just getting more of these layers peeled back. Um, it's like finally that the show uh, remembers that Maeve is around. Yeah, no, this is a big episode for, for Queen Maeve. 
And I think the biggest thing is, um, like you said, like she wanted the real, the real Maeve and Maeve is like, all that other stuff is not real. Like, this is what I want to be the real Maeve. Um, and Elena was just kind of like, and I, let me say this to you. I understand both sides. Elena's like, I just watched a video of you, albeit unwillingly, letting all these people and, and children die. I'm going to need time to process that. Like, that's a lot. Um, and for Queen Maeve, she's saying, dude, I can't fly. He was going to let me die, too. <laughs> like, what do you want me to do? Like, I, I couldn't do anything. Um, so it's kind of like a lose-lose scenario, but you feel really bad for Maeve because it's like, I just want, like, a semblance of happiness and peace. And at every turn, it's like Homelander screwing it up, even if he's not, like, physically there to screw it up. It's just the mental games of, oh, my goodness, like, is he going to drop in at any moment, get jealous and kill her? Or, you know, seeing that video, now that's, like, haunting her. Um, so it was just really unfortunate for Maeve. Um, but before we get into Frenchie and, and Kimiko's uh, scene, we got one scene before that, which was the reemergence of Jonah Vogelbaum, um, his daughter Sonia, uh, meeting up with, well, Mother's Milk and... Um, Mallory. Mallory meeting up with um, Mr. Vogelbaum at his house. Uh, Vogelbaum is in a wheelchair, uh, motorized wheelchair. Uh, essentially, Mallory and Mother's Milk are asking him to testify against everything that's going on with Vaught since no one would know better than him. Um, he essentially just pretty much says, I have too much to lose. I, I, I can't help you guys. Um, and the standout of this scene to you, to me was Mallory telling Mother's Milk, I'll get you and your family out of the country. Um, you just, you should go now. Like before it gets any worse, just go. Um, no one will ever find you. You know, I'll set you guys up. Just you got to get out of here. Um, and Mother's Milk kind of just felt like, you know, he's a soldier at the end of the day. I, I'm done when, when the fight is done. And Mallory very politely let him know this fight will never be mm -hmm. done. Walk me through your thoughts on this scene. Yeah, I mean, that was that was very surprising to me. You know, they're in the middle of this thing. And she's just like, you know what, M.M., you should just go. Just go live your life. Because I think at that point, Vogelbaum had pretty much told them, like, no, I'm not going to testify. I'm not interested in any of that. I'm just going to stay here. And, you know, so, what, oh, God, I forget what he exactly said, but he was like, some things are too, some things are more important than doing the right thing. It was something along those lines, meaning like my family is more important than me getting up on that stand. And I think that that was what Mallory was trying to say to MM. Like he's right. You should be with your family. I can get. I think she was like, I could get you down to Nicaragua or something like that, and you could just go live your life with your family. But as you said, MM is a soldier, even though. It was very clear in the beginning of the season that M.M. was not ready to be the leader. Even though I believe he could be a leader, he just wasn't ready to be a leader then. Um, but at the end, he's a soldier. He's going to see this fight out. And I don't think... He's like Frank Castle, right? Not exactly. But in the sense of he probably knows in the back of his mind that he should just hang up his hat and go to his family. But there's something in him that's like, no, I can't. What, what is it? Never leave someone behind. He's Never like, I can't. Behind. 
Yeah, he's like, I can't leave my soldiers behind. I can't go and leave them to fight this when I know that I was perfectly capable of doing so. So I just don't think that's in MM. Yeah, and and to be specific, um, Vogelbaum was telling Mallory his daughter gave up everything to come be with him to to make sure he was okay. Um, So he couldn't throw that all away by risking his life um, so willingly um, by facing off against home, home, uh, yeah, Homelander and the rest of uh, Vaught. So I mean, you know, it, it's it's you have to admire that, you know, like he gets the sacrifice his daughter made, and it's like she gave up all that, and you're just gonna what? Throw yourself into a situation where you could die like the very next second. Um, so I mean, I, I definitely get it, but um, yeah, you're right. Mallory was was telling him you gotta go, and you know, I think guilt would eat mother's milk. Um, so I think he, he's kind of thinking to himself, if I leave and Billy gets himself killed, that'll always be on me. Um, and he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that, that could live with that. All right, so next up, Tia, you're getting some Frenchie and Kimiko. Uh, <laughs> they finally are bonding as uh, Frenchie is on the roof across the street from where the Congresswoman is, is, um, is staying. Uh, and is checking on her, seeing how everything's going. Uh, and him and Kimiko share a moment together where she teaches him some of the sign language that she has. It's not necessarily normal sign language. It's uh, an adaptive way that Kimiko does it, I believe. Um, but walk me through to you this uh, very nice moment between the two of them. Yeah, it's not a SL. Uh, American Sign Language, which is, I think, uh, some, like, the standard for sign language, um, but it's more of a symbolic sign language, I want to say. Anyway, I, listen, I love Frenchie and Kamika. It's one of those things where it's, like, part of me is, like, now kiss, but then another part of me is, like, I don't care if you guys ever kiss. You're just so beautifully, like, together that it's almost, like, transcendent anything physical. It's, like, what they share. Like, those two actors, oh, my God. Like, they're just so beautiful together. Um, I know how much you love Karen Fukuhara. Uh, She's amazing. And I forget what his name is. It's, like, Tamor or something like that. Anyway, um... Yeah, I love them up at the roof. And Frenchie's uh, telling this story about how his mother cooked and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, he looks at Kimiko and he's like, you know, I'm sure that you have a lot of things that you need to say. And now that your brother's not here, you have no outlet to say any of those things. But, you know, I will listen if you tell me. And at first she, you know, (laughs) I I love how at first she like takes out the gun and he's like, okay, okay, I, I get it. I get the point across. I'll, I'll shut my mouth about it. And she's like, no, the, I'm showing you the symbol for gun. And it was like such a breakthrough moment because it showed that um, Kamiko is willing finally to teach Frenchie. And to Frenchie, that just means everything. You could see how much that meant to him that finally she was going to... And like that's the thing about Frenchie is he wants to help her so much. He wants to open up... Her to open up to him so much, but he's never pushy about it. Right. He's Everything is like on your level, on your term, at your speed. And I'm like, 
Oh, God. Like, that's just so beautiful. I'm sorry. They're like MVP status. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, you know how Karen Fukuhara is my imaginary wife, uh, a thousand percent. Um, but no, I, I, I'll give you a comparison that I think you'll like, Tia. Kimiko and Frenchie are the boys' version of the Punisher and Karen. We didn't oh, yeah. need to see them kiss or embrace to know how, how much they meant to each other. Oh, it's funny you say that. I'm so sorry. It's funny you say that, but last week, Brittany and I did the top 10 romances in movies and TV show. And I totally put Frank Castle and Karen Page down. I'm like, I don't care that we never saw them kiss. They were together. They loved each other. I, you can't convince me otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I would even say she loved Frank completely differently than she ever loved Matt. Oh, yeah. It was just different. Um, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but it was definitely different. But um, <laughs> <laughs> in our next scene, uh, we get Alistar, A-Train, and The Deep at a party celebrating together when mm -hmm. Alistar walks up and goes, what do you guys think of Eagle the Archer? And <laughs> the Deep is like, I love that guy. <laughs> and he's like, don't ever talk to him again. He's dead to us. And it's like, oh, yeah, sure. I hate him. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, it completely makes sense. Um, in that moment, I kind of feel like, in like all cults, Tia, because that's essentially what this is, they are not too fond of you speaking out against them. Um, because one thing a cult hates is when you call it a cult. Um, so the, this definitely is what the situation was, but it was to me an intimidation, uh, factor, um, to where he was kind of letting them know, Hey, stay on my good side or I'll ruin you. And essentially, uh, Eagle the Archer came on television, um, and was saying how, because they wanted him to drop his mom. Uh, you know, they kicked him out because he wouldn't do it. And it's like, there's probably a little bit more to that, but maybe not. Cults usually work like that. They don't want anyone that speaks out against what they're doing. Um, so they usually tell you to let go of all attachments and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But um, walk me through to you that very intimidating scene from Al what is it, Alistar? Uh, Alistar between A-Train and the Deep. So, not to get all deep here, no real pun intended, I swear, but it's very ironic that the guy's name, I think it's his last name, Alistar, uh, is that his name is Alistar, because Alistar is a demon in Christian mythology. So, I feel like something like that was not um, done, like, it was done on purpose, right? Right. And it's not a coincidence that that's how it is. And I think I said to you, or you said, whatever, I forget which one of us said it, but, you know, where it's like, oh, there's a new person in town. I really think that could be the Church of the Collective, right? Because right. they are scary, um, protective, and controlling, like Vought is to their people. Yeah, that that uh, scene was very awkward to me because, again, they're at this party, they're having fun, A-Train is even feeling it, and Alistar's just kind of like, oh, yeah, Eagle, the, you know, whatever his name was, the archer, you know, who's the guy who brought the Deep in, and Deep's like, I love him, blah, blah, blah. And, like, Alistar went from, like, all nice to, like, yeah, you ever talk to him, and pretty much, like, you'll end up in the bottom of the sea in cement, pretty much. And 
I've and Deep was just so willing to be like, no, no, screw that guy. And A Train was looking so confused where he was like, that guy was your friend, and you just turned on him like that. I just think that A Train is. I I would hope that A Train is more skeptical than that. But yeah, no, that was weird, and we saw how uh, the guy Eagle was on tv saying all those things and then they had that woman trying to rebuke what uh eagle was saying but i mean listen as you just said that's how cults work i've watched plenty of documentaries about cults where the one thing they try to do is to separate you from others and outsiders so yeah no that to to me totally sounds uh plausible yeah, no, they're definitely a cult. <laughs> <In this movie. laughs> That's a cult for sure. Um, our next two scenes are very, very, very heavy. Um, well, one of them is, um, the first scene is Huey and Lamplighter breaking into Vault. Uh, apparently Lamplighter had a backdoor entrance uh, that they used to, <laughs> to let sorority <laughs> girls in. Um, I think that's what he said. Um, so College like, girls. College <laughs> girls, there we go. Um, very creepy thing to say, but, um, seems like that's just lamplighters. So they get inside, um, and they're looking around to see, um, where they need to go. And it's funny because lamplighters like, um, if, you know, if it doesn't recognize my hand, we're going to be swarmed in like 30 seconds. And he was like, wait, what? (laughs) He put his hand on the scanner thing and it worked. But the next scene that I thought was heavy was, Maeve losing um, Elena uh, really kind of put her in a spiral. Um, So she's in bed with like three guys um, kind of trying to like drown her pain. And um, the very annoying Ashley walks in and is telling Queen Maeve like, you can't be in bed with three guys. You're supposed to be gay. Like, and Queen Maeve is like, Ashley, for two seconds, be a human being. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it really hit Ashley because she started to tear up a little bit and then just left. Um, but break down that that scene, Tia, of Queen Maeve kind of just telling Ashley, like, hey, get out of my face and let me be me. Yeah, I mean, I think I had said it before, this was Queen Maeve's, um, you know, she was feeling really down about her and Elena breaking up, and she just decided to pretty much probably get the first few people she saw in bed. Um and the as oh god as soon as i I always forget that that's her name i just think of her as annoying corporate vault woman um (laughs) and her running in and she's like this isn't lesbian and i was like well elena told you she was bi you know like she full-on just told you that right but you know of course ashley her thing is you know oh this doesn't go with you know the corporate uh bullshit that we're trying to sell here you know blah blah blah. and it's like Maeve's like oh my god this is my life i'm not a token for you to wave around to try and act as if you're more inclusive right so or exclusive sorry um but i did i was very surprised very surprised to see ashley just stop it and go i'm so sorry Maeve. because then it's either i expected her to be like cut the bullshit or something or her to be like i'm so sorry Maeve." but we da 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 but the fact that she just ended it with i'm so sorry and walked away i was like wow but i felt really bad for Maeve because it's like 
she like that actress really captured like these facial emotions of like she's not in a good place right now um and you know i just i just feel bad for me i'm gonna keep saying it my my poor Maeve, all right? <laughs> Leave her alone. <laughs> Maeve's definitely got it bad, like really bad. Um, the next two scenes are really, 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 really fun. Uh, the next one is um, uh, Homelander, Stormfront, um, God, why can't I remember her name? Becca and Ryan all sharing a moment together. Uh, Becca more unwillingly, the rest of them more willingly, showing off... Um, Ryan's uh, Lego collection where he's reading. Oh, that was so cute. <laughs> uh, I, I really did love that. And what I thought was hilarious is how Homelander was watching that like, ugh. <laughs> like, this is disgusting. What are you doing? Um, but what I loved about it was when Becca pulled um, Homelander outside after hit, uh, Homelander and Stormfront had, you know, maybe suggested, hey, you know, let's maybe come and do this often. And Becca's like, uh no um she pulls him aside and she's begging him please just let him stay here let him be a normal kid you know shield him away from all the craziness out there and he reluctantly agrees we see that you know things maybe don't stay that way but he reluctantly agrees in that moment um walk me through uh how how torturing it is to to keep seeing her have to beg for him not to take her son away Oh God! I know it's this. I I felt Becca's emotion in that moment. I did think what Ryan was doing was very cute. Um, there were they mentioned a few movies that like Ryan had done or he had never seen, and I was like, "Come on, Ryan! You all right, Becca? I understand, but you never showed him these movies. Jesus Christ!" Um, but I did think that that was very cute, and of course, Homelander, who you know we see has really no connection at all to anything ch- childlike because of how he was raised. Um, you know, rolling his eyes, and I was like, "Man, like." watch your kids freaking little cartoon movie or something. I thought that was cute, but yeah, poor Becca just having, but again, this is like, this is how strong Becca is. Even though she's, she looks nervous and she has tears in her eyes. It's like to be able to, again, be that stern with her rapist, but also someone who could literally very easily just tear her apart limb by limb and be like, you come outside right now. I'm talking to you. Um, I just thought that was, uh, just a really great scene. And I feel like this episode has had a lot of scenes where I just feel like my chest tightening. Yeah, this is a hundred percent. One of them. The very next scene is, is also one. We get Billy finding out the news that things didn't go as well as they should have, uh, with Mr. Vogelbaum. Um, so Billy says, you know what? I'll take care of it myself. He visits uh, Vogelbaum and pretty much tells him, if you don't help us, I will kill your daughter right in front of you. Okay, but uh, I know that was such a terrible, like, threat. But the fact that, like, then, you know, the girl comes out and she's like, oh, would you like some tea? And he's like, oh, it's been so long since I've had a good cup of char. And he's just, like, looking at Vogelbaum while sipping his tea with that, like, such a shit-eating grin. And I was like, of course, Billy, of all people, would be able to convince this guy or threaten him, really, into doing what he wants him to do. 
I will say this to you. The more I see Carl Urban in this show, I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's a part of the boys, but the more I see it, the more I kind of wish Titans didn't make Bruce Wayne so old. Because I'm like, God damn, I would love Carl Urban as a Batman. Oh, that'd be good. And, you know, he's, you know, way older than Brenton Thwaites. So it's like, it still would work. He just doesn't need to be 60 years older than him. It's, it's okay to be like 20 or 30 years older than him. Um, but Carl Urban just has this thing about him, like this charm that I'm like, he could be a great Bruce Wayne um, in a Batman. Like, you see how vicious he gets. And it's like, he'd be a great Batman. Um, but yeah, he's, he's laying down the law, uh, the, the law with Vogelbaum, uh, you know, finally gets him to pretty much, uh, smarten up and realize, Hey, it's either you go and risk your life or I'm going to kill your daughter. And, you know, you'll be forced to go that way. Um, <laughs> so he pretty much goes a little bit further than what mother's milk and Mallory were willing to go. Um, our very next scene is the one Tia definitely saw coming and probably laughed and gasped a lot at, which is um, Huey and uh, Lamplighter are walking through Vaught. Lamplighter's letting Huey know, hey, you're bleeding through your shirt. Um, they come across the, the main hall. Huey was like, I thought you were taking me to Starlight. Why are we here? Um, and essentially it was Lamplighter's way of seeing how much things have changed since he's been pretty much, I guess, exiled. Um, he wanted to see, you know, do they still appreciate me? And they don't. He is no longer on the statue that he used to be on. Uh, and he took that to heart. He was very sad about that. Um, so he just says he wanted to do this in front of his, um, in front of his statue. Um, and essentially sets himself on fire. Um, which, can I say this really quickly if I pass it to you, Tia? I always find it weird that someone who can control fire can also be burned to death. Like, couldn't you, like, project the flames outward? Um, how is it that you can use it, but it still could kill you? I, I don't know. Maybe there's, like, a way that that makes sense that I'm just not getting, but it confused the hell out of me. Um, but walk me through, Tia, before we go any further on Lamplighter, just deciding to die. <laughs> I was so sad because in the short time that Sean Ashmore was Lamplighter, I fell in love with him. I don't care. I thought he was a great character. And I think that it's always cool when you have someone on your side who can literally control fire. I was like, that's a great, uh, you know, thing. And it's like, you could have his redemption arc, him helping. And that's the thing. It's like, he never had his real redemption arc. It's like, I get that he, you know, he had a story where he, he was feeling bad about what he did to Mallory's grandchildren, but it's like, oh man, if he would have at least taken the stand or, you know, um, freaking fought against the soups and the seven, that would have been great. But it's like, when they went in and they were in the main room with the statues, first I thought he's betraying Huey. He just brought him to the slaughter pretty much. But as soon as he was looking at the statue and he sees Starlight's statue and he goes, I wanted to do it in front of my statue. I was like, he's going to kill himself. He's going to kill himself. I saw it coming. And as soon as he was like, no, no. Like, why? Why does every character that I love die? Um, 
I was sad. I'm sorry. Like, I again, I thought he would have been a really great asset. I thought Sean Ashmore was really likable as that character. Um, and I just really thought that, again, I just, I just thought that he would have been better alive. But as soon as he just went, I was like, Whoo! like, again, same thing that Huey had. But as I said, Huey did not <laughs> obey what he was supposed to do. What was he supposed to do? Keep Lamplighter inside and alive. What did he eventually do? Keep him outside and not alive. Yeah, no, Mallory was not too happy to find out that he screwed up the one easy thing they asked him to do. Um, but we do see the, uh, the effects of uh, Lamplighter setting himself on fire. It set off the sprinklers which messed up the electrical system, which uh, allowed uh, Starlight enough time to get the power from, um, from the room's electricity. Yeah, that was a great scene. Uh, that was a really, really, really cool scene that they made look really realistic. Like, it didn't look cartoony. Um, so bravo to the boys for always making that cool. So we see Starlight, you know, searching, uh, ultimately searching for her mom, running around the halls, where she just gets decked by Black Noir. <laughs> Uh, and Black Noir apparently um, has... <laughs> He's so strong. He's so strong. Black Noir has what I call equal opportunity hands. He will beat men or women. Um, <laughs> and he was laying it on Starlight. Uh, he essentially gets her in a headlock. She starts to fade. And then, boom, Queen Maeve comes in. Uh, Queen Maeve comes in and... She's uh she's holding him by the throat, lifts his mask up, gives him an almond joy. <laughs> and Starlight's like, an almond joy. She's like, what, what is it? The what is it? The coconut? Uh, he's she said that he has a tree nut allergy. Tree nut, tree nut allergy. Uh, and he pulls out his epipen. We see Queen Maeve toss it out of the way and say, "Nope, you're gonna die here." Um, and then I thought what would hurt me the most, Tia, that made me like a little emotional is when Starlight's like, come with me. Like, let's do this oh, together. God. And Queen Maeve's like, I, I can't. I, I, I can't. This is as far as I was willing to go. Uh, so walk me through that, Tia. Yeah, I mean, Queen Maeve is always on that edge. And it's like, I'm just waiting for the moment where she finally pushes herself, right? But um, going back, so yeah, that was intense. Oh, my God. Like, I love all the Black Noir content that we have gotten this freaking season. He is such a badass. And when he was like barreling through the freaking, uh, you know, walls and shit, which first of all, clearly he has no regard for the way anything is styled because he took freaking Starlight's face and completely like smashed it into the table. He was like, screw it. Like, we're not even really the seven anymore. I'm just going to bash your face into this thing. Um, and I really, I'm telling you, I really thought that Starlight was done for. I know that she's one of the main characters, but you never know with this freaking show. I mean, I, I felt bad for her. She was trying to hold her own, but he is way too freaking powerful. And then when I saw Queen Maeve, you know, uh, wrap her arm around his throat, this is again, like how um, surprising this show is because I thought, oh, we're going to see a fight. And what does she do? She just shoves an almond joy in his Frickin' mouth, which I have several points here. One, someone pointed out that in a couple episodes earlier, one that girl who's like always doing the typing on the computer, you know, she offered Black Noir an almond joy, and he brought up the wastebasket 
as if to be like throw that shit out now it makes sense he he has a uh almond allergy when they lifted up his mask i was very surprised because i was like oh we finally get to see what's under the mask first is um i'm again i know you don't want to know the comics but i know the comics in not wholly i never read them so but to me at least them lifting up the mask showed me that they're not going the way of the comics um and then also did you notice again i guess it's because i go through tumblr a lot and i just look at gifts people make did you notice that there looked to be scars on his face well like burn scars right right so i thought that was really interesting but he generally looked in pain uh when that happened but um i just thought that was so interesting like a tree nut allergy it was just like (laughs) of course it has to be something as small as that but um i really hope black noir didn't die in that moment i really hope that we get to see him again just because that'd be a really like whack death for such an epic character but as you said when starlight was like come with me i'm like come on mave just go like why are you still holding on to this like i know that now starlight is a fugitive pretty much but like there are strength in numbers like just go with her yeah Maeve wasn't ready to make that uh that leap it's it's one thing to try to kill black noir where you can blame it on starlight it's another thing that you openly are siding with the enemy and then once that happens Nothing stopping Homelander from just finding you and, like, ripping your head off of your shoulders. Um, speaking of Homelander, our very next scene, Becca's bringing dinner to uh, the very weird couple that showed up to her house. Uh, <laughs> when she finds out from Ryan that his dad flew him up with Stormfront to see, uh, to see everything and let him know that he's living a lie. Everything is a lie. Um, he tells his mom he no longer wants to live with her. He wants to be with dad. And we see Stormfront and Homelander uh, grab Ryan and take off. Um, very gasp-worthy. Um, this, is the, this is the moment that Becca had always feared, was that um, Homelander would just swoop in and take the kid. And who's going to stop him? Um, so before we go any further, walk me through that to you. Yeah, I mean, I felt like that was very emotional. Um, I kind—I don't mean to keep saying that, like I saw it kind of coming, because you know I'm not like some freaking expert here or something or know it all. But I just had a feeling when Becca walked outside and the two of them were just kind of standing with Ryan there. I was like, this isn't going to be good. I did have a moment where I will say that in that moment, I almost thought, are they going to kill her? Um, but I felt bad for Becca because Ryan is, I guess, at the age, you know, he's young. So to him, he's just kind of like, liar, you lied to me. Kind of like, I guess, you know, Starlight feeling that way with her mother, even though Starlight's much older. But Ryan can't, is not at the age to understand um, why Becca decided to do what she did to keep that from him. And when he has the two manipulators such as Homelander and Stormfront, um, you know, pretty much influencing him, he doesn't have the opportunity to really realize what is really going on. Yeah, this was, this is one of those moments to where it was like seeing someone's worst nightmare uh, come true, like right before their eyes is always like, oh, such a gut wrenching feeling. 
Um, but this is going to have huge implications because um, she had to deal with Vaught. Like, hey, I say nothing. I tell no one anything, and you stay far away from me and my kid. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how Vaught, um, you know, reprimands Homelander for this. This is not what they agreed on. Um, and now you've turned the kid against them. There's a good chance he doesn't want to go back. So if you're Vaught, how do you force a kid to go back that doesn't want to be there? Um, so, and the last thing you want is a public battle of the world's biggest superhero trying to get custody of his son. Not the battle that you want if you're Becca. Um, but we follow that up with Tia. Um, Huey obviously finding Starlight and them rescuing her mom. Uh, Starlight, very appreciative that Huey risked his life to come save her, uh, even though kind of really didn't. Um, <laughs> she still almost died. Uh, but we see Mallory telling Billy that it didn't work and Billy saying, nope, I, I got the job done. Don't worry. Um, Billy shares a really sweet goodbye with his mom who uh, essentially just, just loves him and kind of wants him to let go of all that hate that, that is burdening him. Um, and then we get uh, the deep and a train at a bar watching, uh, watching TV when they see um, Homelander and majority of all the heroes in town, it seems like, in court, um, where um, where we see the congresswoman pretty much uh, calling out everything that's going on. And then, Tia, I will let you uh, – oh, wait, uh, sorry, Jonah Vogelbaum uh, enters the courthouse, and it's a big gasp, like, oh, man, it, it worked. Billy got him to show up. And then, Tia, you can walk me through – one of the best endings <laughs> since Game of Thrones had what was it, the Red Wedding? Oh yeah, the <laughs> um, I, I'm telling you, I really again, and I'm not mad. Listen, like the boys, I, I love it. They go in such crazy directions, right? That you can never predict it. But I really just was a. I'm telling you, it was a waiting for like that was such a gasp worthy scene. I was like, wow um he's really there and we really have an opportunity for some say real consequences right against homelander and i really maybe this was just my naiveness that i really wanted to believe in the justice system at that point um i really just was excited to hear what he had to say and what he would say and Homelander needing to face that in the public knowing, but again, this is the boys and they are shocking as hell because literally no one got a word out before heads started bursting. Literally, the freaking guy who was on the council asking Vogelbaum to talk, you know, head burst, Vogelbaum, head burst, this one, burst, burst, burst. And I was like, oh my God, who's going to be next? I was worried for Queen Maeve. Um, I was worried for the freaking uh, Congresswoman. I, she, and I was worried for Mallory. Lucky, luckily, it looks like Mallory was able to get the Congresswoman out. Um, which is good because that really was still their one hope. But um, I think I was talking to Kanan about this where it was like, why wouldn't, um, say, Stormfront and Homeland 
to like try and get the f out of there they kind of were just like walking around as if they were like oh what the hell's going on um i was just like oh my god and then of course like they uh i would think they were like <laughs> the news said something along the lines of technical difficulties we'll be right back or something um and then i think the deep in a train you know they were watching and the deep literally starts like touching his head it's like dude you're you're not there like you're you're fine chill out um and then of course you see the boys are watching it because they were all excited i think frenchie had popcorn or something they like they were excited like oh wow finally we get to see some justice happen i think that they were showing in this world that the justice is not going to happen by legality or court hearings. It's going to happen with blood. Um, and that was cra- That was so crazy. That whole entire thing. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> um, oh yeah. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that scene, John, because that was just insane. I didn't see it coming. Um, I, yeah, I don't know how many times I have to tell you, I don't see things coming. I didn't see that coming. Um, I didn't either. So we just see heads start to explode. And, you know, we're just sitting there and we're like, what is happening? I really do think Homelander and Stormfront are somewhat, I guess, immune to it. So that's why they they weren't really freaking out. Um, but me and you said this before. We thought it was Corey. I think I think that's her name. We thought it was Corey last week. Cindy. We like, Cindy, sorry. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry, Cindy. Um, I gotta hope my head doesn't explode. <laughs> but we saw what I hope we see in James Gunn's Suicide Squad, which is some heads exploding. Um, but yeah, it 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 literally was. They were popping like popcorn in the microwave. Like heads were going. Um, and we see a lot of important people's heads pop. Uh, Vogelbaum, I believe, his head popped. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looked like a coordinated attack. So you immediately think Cindy. That was the first thought me and you had um, after we saw Cindy's powers last week. It was like, Cindy's probably the one that killed that FBI agent. Like, probably who did it. Um, I think it was kind of a swerve. I think it was meant to make you think Kimiko's brother did it. And now you're kind of like, no, it wasn't him. It was Cindy. Um, but it was a crazy way to end it. And what I loved... and. When I saw this, Tia, I, I legit put, like, um, I had, like, a cutout of, like, Batman's mask. I legit put it over my screen when Carl <laughs> kind of, like, zoomed in. And I was like, yeah, that's the Batman. Um, <laughs> but we see everybody watching. Uh, we see the uh, the boys watching along with um, Starlight's mother. Um, and we see, um, I should say Carl Urban, Billy um just kind of go what the hell like i had them i had them dead to rights and of course plan goes off the rails um and we see him kind of zoom in and kind of go i'm gonna have to take the gloves off (laughs) and that's the feeling i got from that and tell me and that's what i was saying where i was like i think this is it's both them and us as the audience having to realize again this battle will not be won with courts. This battle will be won with violence and blood. But um, I really thought, okay, this is what it was, right? I know that the last we saw Cindy, she was escaping. She was, um, you know, hitchhiking. So it is very possible that she was acting upon her own volition. But really just some part of me thinks that it was Edgar. That it was uh, Edgar using Cindy because... You know, we haven't seen Edgar in a while. 
And I'm sorry, you bring Giancarlo Esposito into a show and he's going to have a bigger part than what you're just giving him. And I, I, I just, I want to think that this was him stopping this because I think that, you know, maybe he got wind of Vogelbaum was going to testify or something and him knowing that if that happened, that really would deface the public in image of the soup so much that there would be no coming back from that. Yeah, that that's a very slippery slope. But when, it, you know, to you, you know, when villains get desperate, they do anything that they, uh, that they feel as though they have to. Uh, to stay on top. And who knows, maybe he felt desperate and needed to do that. Um, But there's nothing funnier than seeing, like, the boys kind of, like, calmly freak out and Huey just going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Huey, calm down just a little bit. (laughs) And he's just, like, fully freaking out. Um, But, yeah, this was a crazy ending. And uh, I know a few people are like, oh, my God, that's not how you end the season. And I'm like, they didn't. There's another episode. Relax. <laughs> um, last season didn't end on a huge clip. Well, it did. I'm sorry, it did. Uh, Becca was still alive and she had a kid. Can't get any bigger of a, of a cliffhanger than that. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that needs to be cleaned up uh, for the season finale. So I can't wait. I can't wait. I tell you, every week I watch it at midnight um, because my body will not let me wait for later on in the day. Um, so I checked it out, and I, I can't wait. I think, Tia, and I usually don't do this, but I think I might avoid um, when they drop the uh, the teaser for the next episode. Like, they usually do it around Tuesday and Wednesday. I think I'm going to avoid it. I kind of want to know nothing going into this last episode uh, and just kind of be surprised by, like, every single thing that I see. Um, go ahead. See, I feel the exact opposite. I am so eager and thirsty to know what the hell is going to happen that I'm like can you give me the um trailer now because I just need some sort of glimpse of the last episode I mean listen there's going to be a season three right I don't know if say I guess they didn't know that going in because I think that uh season two was already wrapped by the time season three got like by the time it got renewed, but I'm sure that they had a very good idea that it was going to be renewed. So they were like, screw it. Let's end it on a cliffhanger. I don't have a doubt that it's going to be. I do not see us getting past season, uh, not season. I don't get it, see us getting past episode eight without a cliffhanger. Yeah, I hope not, Tia. Um, I, I can't handle that. I, I need... <laughs> I need you to explain everything. So my excitement is just like, okay, I can't wait for it more than like, I desperately need it because I need answers. I just think that, I really think that it's going to be one of those things that we're sitting here expecting, say, Stormfront or Homelander to die. And I have a feeling that either neither of them are going to die, or if one of them dies, it's Homelander. Like, we all sit here expecting it to be Stormfront, you know, oh, finally take down the big bad. But this show seems like, no, they're, they may keep her around. Who knows? I don't know. I, I could see if anyone's going to die, I could see it being from the good guy side. 
Um, for sure. I, I really do. Um, to me, you look at it and you kind of go, the deep and A train are not even part of the team. Uh, Starlight's not part of the team. It's literally Queen Maeve, if, she's even, if she even still considers herself a part. We'll find out next week. Um, it's legit just Stormfront and Homelander. So it's like those are two of the face of the seven, whatever you're, you're going to do with the seven going forward. So I'm like, they have to be safe. If anyone, anyone's going to die, there's no bigger cliffhanger than like one of the, the boys appearing like they're dying. Maybe they don't even die. Like it just looks like they are. Um, that's why I'm saying. I could see, you know, I hate to say this because I don't want it to happen, but I can see them killing off Starlight. Um, you know, and that is something that hits Huey really hard and maybe hardens him a little for the next season because it's like that was who he thought he was going to get a second chance with. That is someone who, you know, he really cared about. And she also... You know, ever since she really kind of found out the truth, she started just not giving a flying fuck, right? And it's like one of, and she's in many ways like Billy Butcher. And I could see Billy Butcher dying, which I don't want that to happen either. But though, either of those I could see dying. Or Frenchie. Oh my God, I don't even want to think about any of this. Someone's yeah. going to die. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's keep Billy's name out of that. I need Billy. <laughs> I do too. I mean, you know, again, but we talked about how it seems like the show is going in the way of trying to make Huey a leader. And if you're going to make Huey a leader, either Billy's dying or Billy's retiring. And if Billy's alive, I don't see him retiring unless he gets Becca back. And then he's just like, well, I got what I wanted. So <laughs> I can see Becca meeting up with him and saying that she needs his help to get her son back. And now Billy going, Ugh, I, didn't, <laughs> I don't really want to save the kid. Like, <laughs> right? And like, oh, well, what do I care if he went off with uh, Homelander and Storefront? And she'd be like, you asshole. Yeah, and he's like, I think you keep forgetting I only love you, Becca. I don't want your... <laughs> Your uh, your demon seed of a child. I <laughs> that was just funny. <laughs> but this was an amazing episode. One, um, me and you were really hyped to to review. I'm glad we got to review it together. Um, next week's gonna be epic, Tia. It's it's gonna be really epic. It really is. I am so pumped. I just oh god, it's one of those things where I like. I need it now. You mean I got to wait a freaking week? I just, <laughs> Yeah, there's no, uh, more, there's no other frustrating feeling than knowing that you have to wait a whole week to get this. Um, but it'll be worth the wait because this was. This was definitely worth the wait coming off of the last week's episode. Um, but, Tia, before we, we get out of here, do you want to plug anything before we go? Yeah, absolutely. As always, you guys can check out the top 10 um, tomorrow, which actually I don't know when we're getting this posted, but this week's top 10 is going to be the top 10 bad uh, Halloween movies. So make sure you check that out. Not Halloween, Michael Myers Halloween, Halloween the season, uh, but you know maybe Michael Myers might appear in that. So make sure you check that out. And we have a lot of amazing interviews. Dom has been killing it lately with all the interviews. You can check that out at geekfivesnation.com. And Jawan and I actually just did a review for the Comey rule. So make sure you check that out. If you think we got political 
article in this one. Just wait till you listen to that. Um, and of course, uh, just make sure you just give us a like on social media. We always really appreciate your loyalty to us. And yeah, Joan, it's always just so much fun doing these. Absolutely. Uh, till next week when we do another one. Um, but yes, uh, just echoing what Tia said, please make sure you guys like, subscribe, uh, retweet, uh, share everything you possibly can. We have so much content out there for you guys. Make sure you're keeping up to date with it. And also a shout out to Marty. Marty, I believe, had an interview or two also. Um, want to give Marty a bit of a shout out. But, um, oh yeah, Marty's also an MVP. You know what? We just have like a group of MVPs that you need to check out. I'm waiting for Marty to come out with another Marty and Kathy coffee talk. I think that they've kind of taken a break ever since Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ended because uh, that's what they did a lot of the time. So they're, they're shedding a tear for the end of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But they'll be back. I know they will. They'll definitely be back, and we can't wait till they are. Uh, also, stay tuned. Um, I'll be putting together a Halloween show weekly where we break down a horror movie a week. Uh, so stay tuned for that also. But Tia, this has been great. Here's to next week where our jaws, I'm assuming, will be completely on the ground. Yes, 100%. Everyone, please have an amazing day. Wear your masks. Be safe so we can see movies in 2021. <laughs> Yes, please, because if they push the Batman back to 2022, I will go on a violent streak like we have never seen before. <laughs> um, <laughs> so wear your mask, people, but till next time, peace. See ya. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.